Hello and welcome to Behind the Screams. As always, my name is Ian, and in today's show, I am joined by the other two thirds of the Cackle crew. First up, it is Lucy. Hello, hello. How you Hi. doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Oh, very cheery today. Absolutely that, fantastic, eh? That's uh, I didn't realise I said it that cheerily, to be honest with you. I thought I sounded <laughs> quite doer whilst I was saying it. But uh, we're not just joined by Lucy, we're also joined by Lindsay. Hey. Oh, that was a much less enthusiastic call. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Oh, you did it! You did it! You didn't say, how are you back? I was like, I'm just going to do it! Yeah. She didn't do it. <laughs> no, I didn't, because you said before. <laughs> uh, so I, I, was, I was being a little mean in the kickoff, which is not like me. Oh, no, never, eh? so uh this is episode number 143 uh, and in today's show we are covering the classic 1931 universal monster movie frankenstein before we get into that we will do our plugs uh we'll go over a few things as well so uh lucy where can people find you i'm me on twitter and twitch at lulu underscore q and still running because we're still in pride month i have the uh pride month fundraiser for mermaids mermaids is i assume one of the first it actually is the first um i think it's fair to say the first and one of the biggest charities in the uk dedicated to supporting trans children and young people in the in the uk um so i'm fundraising for the whole month playing all the gay games having weekly guests um this week it's going to be a fellow podcaster and streamer um chucky side chick um she's going to be on on sunday and we're ranking every single life is strange character from og life is strange and before the storm um so that's going to be good fun but like i say oh just doing lots of stuff for pride and all for a good cause and all the bits and subs for the month are also getting donated to the charity so yeah if you like all that stuff come join in Super. Uh, it will be going all in our chat. It'll be popping up every now and again, the link to that fundraiser. It's also across uh, the social medias as well that we're, we're giving out to you. So please, if you have any spare pennies, go and give to that. Uh, Lindsay, where can people find you? I'm at hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Superb. Uh, you can find my personal Twitter at Ian Forrest 12 with two hours. I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash forest underscore 9191. The podcast is also across all social medias. We are on Twitter at Screams Behind Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok is at Behind the Screams podcast as well. And yeah, please go give us a follow. We, we are now just two followers away here on Twitch from 400, which is a great achievement. But we're very, very close to like loads of milestones as well. We're very, very near 7,000 on Twitter. We're very near 20,000 downloads just as a whole uh, and some other, and some the other socials as well. I think we're quite, we're nearing a thousand on Instagram. So hashtag influencer. <laughs> Don't forget, uh, we are running our competition for the month, giving away a copy of Resident Evil Village. All you have to do is subscribe to us here on Twitch at any level or on our Patreon at any level, patreon.com forward slash behind the screams. Uh, you'll get entered into that and we will be announcing the winner, doing the draw and announcing the winner on next, next week's second episode, which we hope will take place on Thursday. Um, but we will obviously announce when that will be, but that will be announced then. And if that is everything, shall we talk about this movie? Is there anything I've forgotten? I feel like I'm missing something. No? Good. Uh, no, I was okay. just trying to think there if you plugged everything. Yeah. 
There's so many things to pluck. All things. You can find Close us enough. everywhere and anywhere. Close enough. Close enough. I wasn't There's... really listening, so I'll trust that. Oh! So the, so the one who, in the kickoff is like, well, at least I was listening. It's now like, I'm even paying attention. Hawk called the kettle black, much. And... Oh, stop it. Gain it, gain it large. Gain it large. Right. Okay, today we are talking about Frankenstein. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! This movie was released in 1931, is 90 years old. It was directed by James Whale, based on the novel by Mary Shelley, and stars Colin Clive, May Clark, and Boris Karloff. The IMDb plot is as follows. Dr. Frankenstein dares to tamper with life and death by creating a human monster out of lifeless body parts. Do I really need to explain Frankenstein? Like, like... I just like I'm sure everyone knows the story of Frankenstein, right? It's just you, one of those. You think like, so? It's one of those just like universally known stories. Now, in the kickoff show, I told you guys that I was a little bit uh, nervous. <laughs> 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 I told you guys that I was a little bit nervous about talking about this, and I'll explain for why because I am very excited to talk about this, but. I feel like I always get a little bit nervous, especially when we do classics, when we do like pre nineteen. I'd say pre-1960s, you know, when we do anything, because, you know, like, maybe, like, I feel like maybe, you know, I'm going to judge stuff by modern standards. I feel like there's maybe going to be something really obvious that I should know, that I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know, like, something about um, covering the classics makes me a little bit nervous, even though I love them, and I'm really, really excited to talk to them. Uh, This is my choice of movie for this week, and I, I chose it simply because it is like we say, possibly one of the most well-known horror stories of all time. I think you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better-known horror story. You're probably looking at Dracula, really, aren't you, as the 
Frankenstein and Dracula as being the two um, that are sort of sort of seen up there as the two great horror stories. Um, was it the first? Had either of you seen this previously? I had. You it's had. been quite a while, but I, I have seen this. I had read the book as well when I was a teenager. We did um, the book in English at school. Yeah, actually, I think I did as I did as well. Or it might have been like extracts of it. Um, but mm-hmm. it's 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 a classic that they teach in school as well, and like higher English and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Lindsay, you'd not seen this before. No, I've not seen it. I've not read the book uh, either. But you know the story of Frankenstein. Yeah, but like when you were saying, like from also like little bits of research I've done, Frankenstein the book is nothing like Frankenstein the film. It's a bit no inaccurate to say it's based on the book. It's based on the play, which is based on the book by Peggy Weebling. I, I did you notice in the credits for yes, this it made movie me sick. <laughs> that uh, yeah, I, I thought that it would. That's why. I, <laughs> that's what it. Uh, she was cred. What was it? She was credited at Mrs. Mrs. Percy B. B. Shelley. Who the fuck is that? Who I'm... is that? <laughs> the I'm... audacity, the gall, and the fucking gumption. I'm going to assume that Percy B. Shelley was Mary Shelley's husband. Um, but I, I actually meant to look that up, but I didn't. Uh, I, but I saw it. It was like one of the first things I saw. I was like, oh, take a note. They would be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, like, I, I think it's still, re- it's, I know you're saying, like, obviously this is based off the play, but I think it's still relatively fair to say that it's it's adapted from the book. The screenplay is obviously not by Mary Shelley. She wrote the original book in which the play and the movies is, is based on. Without that book, we wouldn't have this. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't have this this film. Um, incredibly short runtime, which I think is uh, very refreshing for us. We cover quite a lot of really long movies, it seems. So it was really refreshing to get a little 70 minute movie in here. Obviously, uh, this being 1931, I think one of the things that I always find so struggle with is to not judge this by modern standards as well, you know, because it, I think for the majority of horror fans, we'd look back and watch this movie and think, this isn't scary like what is this and uh, and things like that but you cannot judge it compared to anything that we've got being released even in the last sort of like 40 years i i know what you're saying but one of the things that completely took me by surprise with this film is how like spot on the makeup is how the sets are so well done like how complex the characters are you don't always get that in modern films because studios are like we need a clear indication of good or bad whereas Frankenstein's monster is very complex and I'm not battered over the head with what I'm supposed to feel towards it I it's left open to interpretation and I can decide for myself um and I know what you're saying about some older films and it's something I was worried about going into it like all oh, the special effects are going to be a bit naff like they're going to speak in that weird transatlantic accent <laughs> like but none of that was there and that was one thing that like I was really impressed with like I feel like it holds up a lot better than some of the films we've watched like over the past year well let's let's like let's go back to some of the because we have done a couple of older films as well 
specifically at the Birds and House on Haunted Hill. I know you weren't on the House that Haunted Hill episode, Lindsay. I don't know if you've seen it before yeah, or I've not. Seen it. So how do you think this film then holds up compared to those two? Because those two both come much later. You know, you're talking well over two, two to three decades later. Do you think that I think because I personally think this holds up compared to both of those? I I'm it's difficult because I really love House on Haunted Hill because I'm a massive fan of Vincent Price and like my favourite genre of film is 50s, well, 40s, 50s, 60s, film noir kind of style. And it has little bits of that in there. But I think, like, they both hold up. I mean, even though House on Haunted Hill was made, like, 30 years past Frankenstein, I feel like, kind of like what Lindsay said, Frankenstein has more complex characters. House on Haunted Hill, I mean, we talk there about um, the, the rather problematic representation of women, which we'll talk about in this as well, where they're just screaming banshees the entire time. But, you know, like, Frankenstein, it is... I like a story where it isn't black and white and you get, you're allowed to interpret the characters how you want to. And um, I, I think they're both classics. I love them there's, both dearly for different things. There's so many like peaks and troughs and like how you're meant to feel as well. Like I felt like I was on an emotional roller coaster in this film. And like, even though it's, it's not gory at all, like you're not really seeing anything too offensive. Like, there's some really dark scenes in this, but the way they're done, like, you wouldn't get a film like this nowadays. And it's, it's just done so well. It is worth pointing out that this movie was incredibly offensive when it came out, and much of it did get cut mm. and was only restored. Mm-hmm. I th- I've got some of it in the trivia, but it was only restored in the 1980s. Yeah. Some of it was restored. So it is worth pointing out. I know, obviously, but you're saying, again, by modern standards, this isn't an offensive film. However, at the time of its release, it, it was deemed to be incredibly offensive and blasphemous and, and all well, those things. Well, it's that way as well. Like, in the in the 1930s, I know that that scene was cut, um, but it's something that's not even done nowadays. They they kill a child. Like, that's a well, bit of a taboo we've, we've talked. We've talked about this before, haven't we, about children's deaths in horror movies. And we, I can't remember what movie it was that we were talking about it for, but, um, you know, we, I, I try and think of horror movies that have killed children. And off the top of your head you really can't name many dr sleep was a, is the most modern one that comes to mind uh, i know maximum overdrive does it terrible film obviously frankenstein does it there's not many others there are some it happens occasionally but very occasionally mm. um and it's definitely something we've talked about before so like you say that was also one of the scenes that was cut um uh the one of the other scene that i was i was referring to as well for anyone who who doesn't know um is the scene after he's just brought Frankenstein's monster to life, uh, Dr. Frankenstein turns around and is like, uh, so this is how it feels to be God. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that, that was super controversial. And that was deemed to be highly blasphemous. And of course, the 1930s religious standards were just completely different to what they are now. And so, yeah, that was something as well and don't forget in the 1930s as well we didn't have you know like a a, a a rating system so you know this wasn't you couldn't be like oh this is r-rated there was no such thing <laughs> this film wasn't even considered a horror movie when it first came out because the the genre of horror wasn't actually created until 1934 so this movie came out and there was no there was no word for it it was just another movie 
You also have to take into consideration as well, the Hayes Code got officially implemented the year before this came out. So that would have had a massive impact as well. And, you know, we've talked about the Hayes Code a couple of times, just in representations of sexuality and, um, you know, it enforced a lot of awful things like homophobia and racism and, um, you know, no sex before marriage and all these kinds of things. But they, they had to deal with that a year after. So even some of the scenes, like, I know we'll get into it, but when when they're like carrying the child through as well, and you get you start with the mob scene, like that would have been controversial anyway. But the fact that they did that the year after the Hayes Code was put in place, it's quite um, was this a groundbreaking? What cut for audiences then it was? And- I mean, this movie is 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 completely groundbreaking, and not just because of that, just in terms of horror. This movie is completely groundbreaking because let's let's not forget that horror movies, and although I'm saying, you know, horror wasn't technically coined as a genre for another three years, horror movies at this point were still not not a common thing. They weren't very old. Like, there weren't a lot of horror movies out before then. I think, oh, it's escaping me, the year of the first sort of credited horror movie. I think it's 19... I want to say it's 1924, but I could be mistaken there. So, you know, but like, it's a, it's, a, it's something that's not been around for a very long time. So this is completely groundbreaking. It's given us a story that is still well known, is still um, one of the most famous horror stories of all time, almost a hundred years later. Could you imagine if in like a hundred years time, people are still talking about things like Midsummer and Hereditary and all those other kinds of movies that are coming out, the, the cabin in the woods and those sorts of things. You know, I think, I'll, I, don't get me wrong, I think we're going through a golden age of horror just now. Um, but I think we'll be surprised how much of current horror will fade into obscurity, much like it did in the 30s as well. And, and it'll be a case of what's going to rise? What's the thing that's going to be remembered? And I think for any movie to still be remembered and have that story told, 100 years later and let's not forget the book was well over 100 years ago now it was the late 1800s wasn't it the, the 1818 yeah so oh, you're yeah. well you're talking not even 100 you're talking almost over 200 years um for that story to still be told i think is is quite remarkable and pretty incredible um okay so this movie we'll talk let's start talking a bit more specifics about this film and obviously it's uh, Frankenstein's monster is portrayed by one of those names, isn't it? There are there are five or six names from the 30s to the sort of 50s that everyone just, and, and beyond as well, that is just like quintessential horror royalty, isn't there? And you've, you've already mentioned one, Lucy, you've got Vincent Price, people like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, Bella Lugosi, who we will talk about in a little bit later on as well, and Boris Karloff. Now, in the run-up to this film, Boris Karloff was a relative unknown, um, had been a sort of journeyman actor. He was actually quite old, but this was his big break. He was actually quite old for, for getting his big break. I think he was about 44 when when they were making this film, which is quite late to for someone to sort of come through and, and get their break into, into movies. But... Um, in terms of like those those guys, and I, I know I know they're all middle-aged white men, right? <laughs> but in terms of like those guys, um, Vincent Price has always been like the favorite of mine, and Christopher Lee. But are there are any of those like people that, that sort of stick out for you? Are there any of them like just your favorites, not favorites? You know, how do you feel about those sorts of people whose names are just so synonymous with horror? 
know I'd already mentioned it and I will sound like a broken record, but it will be Vincent Price, but not even just for this era. Vincent Price in general was such a trailblazer for horror. You know, there's nobody that can quite narrate a tale like he can. And, you know, later, later in, um, later down the road, it came out that he was, he was bi, he was a bi icon. And I think, um, you know, that's amazing as well. I think when, when you think of classic horror, especially narration and voice acting, you just, to me, you can't get better than Vincent Price. So that that would be my choice. <laughs> I would highly recommend anyone go back on YouTube, watch old clips, old videos, old interviews with Vincent Price, because ge- genuinely I could listen to him speak for just hours and hours. There's a really funny one that I watched lately. Um, I don't know if I don't know if this has been a thing that outside of the UK, I don't know if you guys would remember it, an old TV show called This Is Your Life, um, where they had Christopher Lee on and they were doing the life and times of Christopher Lee and the last person they brought out was Vincent Price and he was telling funny stories and things like that and it was a really really funny little clip to watch but Vincent Price was just an icon on and off the screen and 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 you know like you say an absolute trailblazer as well um it's definitely one of my all-time favorites Lindsay what about you what about this sort of crop of actors um yeah like I think like Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi like definitely deserve a shout out um, their portrayals of Frankenstein and Dracula respectively like people think they're doing a Frankenstein impression when they're doing like the arms out thing oh I know Boris Karloff actually doesn't do that but when they're dressed up like Frankenstein they're not dressed up like Frankenstein it's like it's Boris Karloff it's a Boris Karloff impression because he cemented how we think of that character for like the next almost 100 years like 90 years later people still dress up like Boris Karloff in Frankenstein because that's how iconic it was and similarly with Bella Lugosi the Dracula impression everyone does it's not Dracula impression it's a Bella <laughs> Lugosi impression because they just made it so iconic and um, I think as well another person um, in horror that deserves a shout out is Lon Chaney, mm-hmm. the man of a thousand faces. Yeah. Um, some of the things he was able to create for film um, with makeup and special effects is just absolutely incredible. And again, it's characters that we still talk about to this day, like um, the Phantom of the Opera. Like, I know more people know it as a musical now, but would we have had the musical without the film? Like, probably not. Let's let's not forget that just a few weeks ago we did a review of The Invisible Man, mm. which is another universal classic monster movie as well. Um, but no, Lon Chaney is a really good one. I think absolutely deserves a mention there. There are others as well. You know, these are mm. just you know sort of the five or the six that generally tend to come to the fore of most people's minds there are others there are tons and tons of actors and actresses from this genre of and I say this genre this era sorry from you know the late 20s all the way through to almost 1960 that you know the first for some people they just they they don't know it's you know before their lifetime and I know obviously it's before our it's before all of our lifetimes as well. Before I, my grandparents' lifetimes <laughs> as well. <laughs> like I I don't know I I still I've just been having and it's more only in the last sort of like couple of hours just been having a hard time sort of wrapping my head around the fact that we like that we, this is ninety years old and here we are this we are you know a small 
Scottish podcast, and here we are talking about this ninety-year-old movie. Um, I was um, I was on the phone to Lucy last night. I don't even know why I'm sharing this. And <laughs> but I'm like, what are you going to share? <laughs> I started crying at the start of this film because I was like, "What a fucking privilege to be able to watch something this old." There are so many films from this time period that are just that are just lost, whether it's due to like fire or like poor care of the film, and we will never, ever, ever be able to see them. Mm-hmm. But this has lasted and we are actually so lucky to be able to watch it yeah no i i i I completely agree with you um just to move on a little bit um so we will not move on because i'm going to ask very similar questions so let's look how just how influential do you think this movie the book the play how influential do you think that story of frankenstein has been to the to horror as we know know it now Oh, you can see it in, in so many different things and not even just ho- like horror cinema. You can see it in music. You can see it in television. You can see it in books, not just specifically horror, but other genres. Like the first thing I was thinking about, you, and it's a classic as well as Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights is a book I loved growing up and that is heavily influenced by Frankenstein. Uh, Blade Runner is also influenced by Frankenstein. Um, there's, I'm just trying to, I took a list and there's so many. Um, even Jane Eyre, so like, it's not even just horror. Like, I think the story of Frankenstein's monster resonates with so many people because of this otherness, you know, feeling isolated and, you know, feeling detached from the world. And I think everybody can relate to that at some point in their lives. Um, even like I was just thinking their American horror story, like Coven, uh, Coven, yeah, Coven. that season, that like that they have, it's pretty much a copy paste of Frankenstein. They have a modern day Frankenstein, this teenage boy that, you know, gets killed on the bus and then put back together again. So we see it like, as you say, 90 years on people retelling that tale because it's a very relatable character. And I think that fe- that feeling of other otherness and being the underdog never goes away, regardless of the time period you're in. Definitely. I think there's like that side of it, but there's also the other side of it. It's like that fear of like how far science and like, like medical things are gonna go. Like it's, it's kind of scary that like well it's Henry Frankenstein in this version is able to build a man and bring them back to life and then if we look at how far science and technology is coming along as well like we've seen animals being cloned and like live lives and you know we can grow meat in a lab and eat it and you know we'll get to the point where you can like grow organs and it's it's weird and it's and it's quite scary. Um, so I think there's that like fear of how far science is gonna go, like science and technology is gonna go. Well, that's a question that we like the world has been asking though for a very long time for a long yeah. time now as well. well that's isn't this it? story is so timeless. It's because you, you science is constantly pushing the boundaries, isn't it, of what it can and cannot do. What it, not just what it can and cannot do, but what it ethically can yeah. and cannot do as well because ethics are such a huge 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 important part of you know sort of research science and research medicine and things like that um i think this i think this is the most influential horror story of all time to be honest with you like i'm just going to throw that right out there um i think like like 
just to echo what you both said as well, you can see the influence of Frankenstein in so many modern day stories. You can see, you know, the, the questions that it raises still being asked today, 90 years later. So I just don't think there's anything else that's been, that's been quite like it. Um, just before we get into the actual scenes themselves, because we've been talking for a little bit now, we haven't talked about any of the actual movie yet. Just to let everyone know who's currently listening to us live in the chat, feel free to answer the questions along with us. If we're posing questions, feel free to answer it. We will try and read out some of your answers uh, as well. Um, we love to interact with you guys. So yeah, please feel free to be answering our questions, talking away, giving your opinions. Um, it's one of the reasons we started doing the live shows. So, um, but let's get into this movie. So something that we don't get anymore um, is we actually get a warning for this movie. Uh, in the beginning, um, his name is Edward Van Sloan, the actor who plays Dr. Is it Veldman he plays in the movie? I think he plays. Uh, actually comes out and gives the audience a warning. Now, um, I believe this was probably relatively commonplace for horror movies uh, of a certain era. But um, I, I don't know why, but I just didn't expect it. And it was, it kind of took me. I was like, oh, like, it, and I kind of get what you were saying there earlier, Lindsay, about having that sort of privilege to watch it. Because I was standing there and I was watching him speak. And, you know, in it, and, and to talk about Vincent Price as well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that intro to House on Haunted Hill, you know, where we have Vincent Price as a floating head being like, there'll be uh, there'll be drinks and blood and murder and blah, blah, blah. And it's, and you know, and I love it. I love this little intro. Like, it just, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You know what I mean? It gives me that really nice feeling. How, like... I wish movies still did this. I love it. It's breaking the fourth ball and it's kind of, it almost reminds me of, and it's interesting because we're talking about how it's more influenced by the play. It reminds me of classic plays, even classic Shakespeare, when you'll have a protagonist come up and tell you about the story before the story starts. And I think, but don't quote me on it, I think Frankenstein was one of the first to do this. And again, you can see this in so many other classic horrors and reference today like you said Vincent Price is an example I was also thinking like in recent years and we're going to talk about it Treehouse of Horror does this mm -hmm. as well yeah. Simpsons does this and yes. like it's a really smart way not to get around the Hayes Code but to tell audiences in advance because of regulations and legalities at the time but also doing it in a very like a theatrical way and it adds charm to the film so I thought it was really smart and I, I love when we get these scenes in classic horror movies like it's honestly one of my favorite things. I, I completely agree with you I almost like don't quite know how to describe how it makes me feel it just makes me feel happy like I just feel happy it gives me joy. Lindsay how do you feel about these scenes? Yeah I loved it I just I, when it happened the first time I watched it, I just wanted to be in a cinema in 1931, just kind of like taking in the room and seeing like how other people felt about it. Like, because it's a way as well, as much as like, obviously we all said we didn't particularly find it scary. It's kind of more like a gothic style for me, but um, it's a great way to build tension before mm. the story even starts. Like, oh, by the way, you're about to shit. by the way you're about to shit your pants <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, i kind of loved it <laughs> you know what like i don't know like obviously i think some cinemas in like america this like that will do this but obviously we're, we're not there and we we only really have made big 
chain cinemas here and i know we've got one sort of smaller independent cinema here in aberdeen um but they sometimes will do like old showings of classic of, of like your classic films and uh, you know especially and in horror they do things like the shining uh, and those sorts of films they never do universal horror movies and i would just love to be sitting in a theater to watch this and bride of frankenstein on a double feature mm. like, i'd love to see it at a drive-in could you imagine that, like outside on a summer's day, with you don't, a big projector? You, you don't drive. <laughs> and we'll get one of our friends to do. It's fine. <laughs> okay, Jamie, Jamie, you're being called upon. Um, but yeah, like, how amazing would that be? Just to be in a theater, and then you know, obviously they don't have curtains anymore. But like, the curtain on the screen comes up, and Edward von Sloan uh, steps out, and it's just be like, yeah, you know, like how some people really love like the start of a gig. Or, you know, when they're, you, the buzz of like going to a big sports event, you know, when everyone's sort of milling about and there's like that electricity in the air. That's what I get from this. Okay, right. Let's talk about the actual movie then, shall we? <laughs> also, it was interesting to notice, actually, I don't know if you guys noticed this, at the very beginning in those credits, the monster is credited as question mark. And then it's not until the end of the movie that he is credited as Boris Karloff. So they were, yeah. keep, so it's like they're keeping it a secret as well. And then I, I, I don't know at the time, but I don't know if people would have known that Boris Karloff was playing Frankenstein going into the movie so if they didn't like I think that's so cool that you know they're keeping it a secret right up until you know you like that big reveal because they do make a big deal of the reveal of Frankenstein's face mm. don't they and I just think that's so cool because as well you didn't have the internet back then so you know like there's no one who's watching it and immediately going on fucking Twitter being like uh, it's Boris Karloff by the way <laughs> You know, I know. I was thinking that while I was watching it because there's been a few films that have had like big twists spoiled because the actor, like their actual character name, it's been listed on IMDb or they like nobody seems to sense to like bury it or, um, do you know what I mean? Like stuff has been so easily spoiled by IMDb. So this was like actually kind of refreshing watching it and being like. Oh, like it's a surprise, even though I knew who it was. <laughs> but I liked I liked the suspense of putting the big question mark next to the monster. Yeah, I think that was uh I think that was definitely very smart of them to do. So in the beginning of this movie, we are watching a funeral. Um, you know, this this coffin, we see it getting buried, um, and you see Dr. Henry Frankenstein and I'm not gonna lie it was confusing the shit out of me that he was called Henry oh and the friend was called yeah. Victor what the hell like, who, just, who came up with that I was so confused like I was I was so confused the amount of times in my notes that I was writing Victor Frankenstein and I was like oh nope it's Henry anyway it's literally in every other version it's Victor. I know yeah I've, I've I've got it all muddled up in my notes and I was like oh wait who's who again um but yeah so they're like watching this funeral they dig up this body um to to take back and then are on their way back and this is actually one of the scenes that i did find quite shocking right because i was still watching this in a 20 (laughs) 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 this uh this uh this i kind of forgot that uh, it's 2021 so when they walked past and there was just a guy hanging in the street like in the gallows in the gallows like that it still boggles my mind that there it just as not as long ago as 
1931 and I know it's 90 years it's a long time but in the grand scheme of things it's a very very short amount of time that mm. just 1931 there were people and, and beyond there were people just hanging in the street well if you think about it in modern <laughs> cinema like in the even past 10 20 years hangings are kind of like more shocking now I don't know if that's just my interpretation even like watching the tv series Handmaiden's Tale I've not finished it I'm only in the first season oh I know I know what scene you're talking about but it's like that is really really shocking um but you're right like go 100 years years ago but further it's not that it's commonplace but it wouldn't be as you wouldn't bat an eye as much so it's interesting something that might not have been seen as controversial then is more controversial now it's it's weird because obviously i've seen this before i knew it was there it's been i'm like you lucy it's been a long time since it and it came up and i don't know it just like it caught me again a little bit by surprise i was a little bit like oh there there it is Lindsay, how did it how did you feel about it because you didn't know that that was there no um Oh yeah, I don't really watch that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like ah, fucking hanging body, isn't it? Weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There you go. Hard as nails is our Lindsay. <laughs> um, they don't even actually steal the body because Fritz cuts the body down, and then Frankenstein's like the neck is broken, the brain is going to be useless. Um. I don't actually quite understand the logic behind that because they're taking the physical brain out. Like, surely it doesn't matter if the neck is broken or not. I know, obviously, it's spinal cords and, and, and things like that are connected mm. to the brain, but they're removing the brain from all that anyway. Yeah, like, I guess that's not really explained unless... I don't know, because the brain they do end up taking, it's just a brain in a jar. It's it's a br- it has the spinal cord. Exactly, that's that, that's my point. And even though they're like, that's... A mi- very very minor plot hole um oh people are seeing files uh i love the fact that they never explain anything in this film because how many times have we watched movies where the reasoning and the exposition just is battering you over the head for the entire film all we get fucking told in this film is henry's doing an experiment he's ditched his missus He's doing this experiment. This person's back to life. Oh, he's bad. We're killing it. That's it. Like, that's the whole plot. There's I no- kind of love that. Though. I do. No, like, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying as well. Like, I feel like in modern films, you're like battered over the head with like what you're supposed to think. This film doesn't treat its audience like it's stupid. And I really appreciate that. Oh, it doesn't hold your hand. No, and like, I don't want my bloody hand held. Like, you don't want to be touched. <laughs> no, it's not your love language. No, it's not. <laughs> but you're right, though, because I, I, I actually really like it in this. But I feel like I'm contradicting myself because, like, I know I've said quite a few times that I really like an explanation to things, and I like really in depth backstory and the reasonings why for things. But you don't. I feel like you don't need that here. And no, like, you don't. You're absolutely right because I'm like you, Lucy. I like things to be explained. I like to know what's going on. But you don't need it every single time. And sometimes it's just very refreshing to get that. And like you're like you've both stated, this doesn't treat you like it treats you like an adult, doesn't it? You know, it treats you, it lets you make up your own opinions, not just about um not just about Frankenstein's monster, but about the rest of the characters as well, about Frankenstein himself, about Elizabeth and Victor and 
the Baron and the Burgermeister and all these people. And yeah, like I, I really, really love, love the fact that it does that. Um, a little bit of comedy moment in here as well, because Fritz is obviously trying to steal the brain and then gets spooked by the, the skeleton and ends up stealing the, the criminal brain. Because why does he take the lid off? I was like, watching it. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, showing it on my TV. It's just, uh, I, I quite like that. Apparently, that skeleton was an, a real human skeleton. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. There you go. A little bit of, little bit of pre, spoop. A little bit of pre trivia for you there. Um, obviously. Uh, we, we probably should mention it as well because they're not particularly pleasant to Fritz, who is clearly someone who has a physical uh, deformation. He's he's got he's supposed he's supposed to be a hunchback, isn't he? That's see, like, because I eventually grow to hate this character. Just oh like, yeah, he's a dickhead. Like, oh, oh yeah, I was like screaming at the TV at him, but I was like, no, Johnny looks the way he looks when he's got a two foot fucking walking stick. Like maybe if he actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and as well, like just portrayals of sort of general mental health as well, because you know they 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 claim they claim things like the criminal is the criminal because their brain is a certain way, and you know it just it's just all very nineteen thirties in terms of its opinions. All it's like I do wonder if they that was like a genuine like they thought that that's how it was in those days, and just like nowadays we just know better. Like it could have been. It could have been medically accurate then. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's not. I should probably should have looked into that, but I, I didn't. Like, but Lucy, does this? How do you feel about all this? I mean, yeah, you do need to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt because it is the nineteen thirties. Fritz, Fritz. Oh, I just wanted to bash my screen. Absolutely despise him. But then you're, you're right there about the representation of mental health you have to think as well like a little bit before this think about how they treated women who were seen as hysterical um and the way they treated mental health was um what was it giving them cocaine and then like giving them an orgasm or something and they said that's medication yeah, for your that... mental health off you pop i mean we're all fine we get that back I, I failed to see the issue there, to be honest with you. Better than popping a propanolol. Oh, dear Lord. Of course, uh, uh, here on Behind the Screams, we don't condone the use of illegal narcotics. Well, let, well, let's talk about uh, Frankenstein's monster, yeah, um, and obviously we'll 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 talk about. Well, I think. See, that's the thing, right? I think it's perfectly legitimate to call Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein. You're just naming him after his creator. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's perfectly legitimate. Um, 
But anyways, we'll talk about the monster um, because you know we've 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 been alluding to it the entire time about the movie lets you make up your own mind about the monster in this movie. So so what what did your minds come up with then? Did you feel sympathetic towards the monster? Did you think that he was something that or someone that should have been killed? Do you think because like I personally think. The story of Frankenstein's monster is incredibly tragic, incredibly tragic. You know, this 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 person has been created, um, you know, from all these bits of different people against all of their own wills. Um, like you were saying, Lindsay, he's, he's essentially is a child, you know, who has never pro- can't you can't process, you can't speak, um, you can't sort of process rational thought at times. And he is completely 100% vilified just for being alive, you know? And I think it's an incredibly sad story. And yeah, like I, I feel great sympathy for the character of the monster. How do you feel about him? I feel, I feel a lot of sympathy for, um, I'll say the monster. I was going to say Frankenstein there, wh- wh- whichever. But no, I feel a lot of sympathy for the monster. As you said, he didn't ask to be created. He was created against his own will and he doesn't have the capacity to express himself. You know, imagine not being able to speak or give out coherent thoughts, you know, and be able to have the capacity to say like, I didn't ask to be created and what the fuck are you doing to me and all these kinds of things. And as he said, he is essentially a child. and when you see him do the bad things that he does, you can see that he regrets it after and he does have emotional intelligence and he does feel guilt for what he does, but he just, he, I was going to say he can't help it, but he hasn't been told anything otherwise. And um, I, I do like that it's not so black and white, that, you know, the villain doesn't have to be all evil all the time you know there's reasons for why people do the things they do and I think this is one of the first times not even just in horror but in cinema in general like think in 1931 where you have a character that complex you know what I mean if only he had the ability to be like Fritz get the fuck away from me with that fire (laughs) get the fuck I know it's so sad like he's so frightened by a literal like flaming stick in his face and what do they do like lock him up and like tie him to like a pole like what the fuck it's actually barbaric you wouldn't treat an animal like that but they do that to him it's it's one of the things i actually think specifically Boris Karloff does so incredibly well in this film is that portrayal of fear like you I can almost feel the character's fear through that screen mm. uh specifically um, uh, when the scene and I know I'm jumping way ahead but the scene in the in the windmill at the end when the flames are up licking around him and you can hear Frankenstein's monster screaming you can hear him screeching just absolute sheer terror in his voice and I think Karloff does that absolutely amazingly but uh how do you feel sort of in general what sort of consensus did you come to Lindsay um I came to the consensus that he was a sympathetic character like one of the things it's this like morality thing as well like I was thinking about it in terms of like a court of law like, would he have got done for murder or would it have actually been Henry who 
ended up being punished. Like, I think we both know, and based on the ending, I think we all know that it would have been the monster. Oh yeah, but I mean, like in today times. Oh, in today times, um, I don't. I, I'm not convinced it still wouldn't be the monster in today times. To be honest with you, I don't think we've came that far. <laughs> to be honest. True. Um. Okay. I know we skipped ahead to the sort of chat around the monster, but we've still got another few scenes in the build-up to it. Um, we've got this scene between Victor and Elizabeth right at the very beginning. Them two are definitely pumping, right? I was just, I was watching that and I was like, Elizabeth, just go with Victor. He clearly loves you. Henry's not interested. Pretty sure Henry's gay. Um, <laughs> not interested in you whatsoever, Hen. Just leave him. And she's like, she's not arsed for Victor at all. And I was like, he's but they both admit that they like. Tidy, go with him. He actually is though. Like <laughs> I was looking, I was like, okay, like sis can do a lot better. Come on, he's there exactly. for the taking. <laughs> Don't know, but it was the Baron for. No, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> um, they both admit to each other like that they, they love each other as well. For a minute there, I was like, "Is this? Are we going to get a wee twist? Is this story know what I remember?" Does like, she say she loves him? She does. I'm like, sure one of them does. Or do they? Both I'm sure say that it? he says to her, um, "I wish you were more fond of me," or something like that. Or she was, like, "Yeah, I'm very then... fond of you." And he's like, "I wish you were more fond of me," or something like that. Like he loves her; it's not reciprocated. She's ah, all about Henry. It's all about a bit of unrequited love, there, is yes. it? Yes. If only, if, and if only, if only I should have been like, right, come on, give me my hole, and everything would have been a lot different. It would have all turned out a lot different. Exactly. But um, Frankenstein has just ditched her as well. Like, what a dick. Like, he's just been like, fuck you, my experiment's way more important. Did I come and see me? Did mm-hmm. I send him to come and see me? I'll come back when I come back. It's the surely the old days equivalent of just being like, I'm just nipping down to the shop for some milk and just never showing up again. Yeah, like, he's so not arsed about Elizabeth. It's so clear that it's just, like, been this arranged marriage by his dad. Like, his dad's more interested in the wedding than he is. How's he no Maria then? Oh no. Wow. Can we talk about the dad as well? Yeah, like, go on then. Go on then. I like, I was seeing the dad, I'm, I'm convinced that Henry Frankenstein is gay. And then I seen the dad, I was like, I would not come out to you. Like, I don't blame Henry for what he's done, just running off to a castle in the hills with his hunchback friend playing with men's bars. Like, I don't blame him. <laughs> That does not pass the vibe check. The minute I saw him, I was like, oh, this is big Tory energy. Nah, I'm not he, about that. He was horrendous, wasn't he? Like, just to everyone yeah. as well. There is no one in this movie that he is nice to. He is horrible to everyone. He treats, he waves that fucking stick around and points it in people's faces. He makes jokes about his dead wife and his dead granddad's wife and whatever else. And it's horrible to the servants in their in the house, and I don't know if you guys noticed this. And I, I tried to look it up to see if I could figure it out, but I couldn't. I couldn't figure it out. He had a lump on the back of his head. Um, like go back and have a look at one of the scenes. There, he's got a lump. I think it was behind like his right ear, and it's like huge. 
And I tried to look it up to see if I could figure out what it was, uh, to see if anything, but I couldn't find anything. Um, mm. So if anyone's listening to this and knows the, the script behind that, I'd be very interested to know whether or not the actor himself was ill or if it was like a, uh, an injury he suffered or what. But yeah, um, I'm not a fan of the dad, not a fan of the Baron at all. But we shall move on. We've also got in this... Uh, so anyways, so Victor and Elizabeth essentially decide to go and see Vic, uh, Henry. See, I almost called him Victor again. They essentially decide to go and visit Henry and they take Dr. Veldman along with them. And um, long story short, they, they, they're like banging on the door and he's like, ah, fuck off. But they keep going. And he finds out that Elizabeth's there and he's like, right, okay, and you come, but... You're not supposed to be here. He's really unhappy. And we get the scene, don't we? The scene, the most infamous... Is this the most famous... Not even just horror movies. This is the most famous line in cinema history. The it's alive scene. It's definitely up there. Like, everyone knows that. It's the exact... Like, even way it's spoken as well. It's exactly the way... Um, is it Clive Collin? Yeah, it's exactly the way Clive Colin does it. It's it's it's, it's, it's called it's Colin. It's Colin Clive. <laughs> but you know, I think I think everyone at some point in their life has has spoken these words or has imitated that scene, hasn't they? Like even if like in a wee jokey way or whatever. Mm. Um, it's the most famous. I think I think I think it's the most famous horror scene slash movie scene of all time. You know. Um, it's right up there with the you know, play it again, Sam, and it's alive is definitely up there, isn't it? Um, how did you feel about the whole sort of the experiment scene? Because we obviously see it's 1931, obviously, effects uh, where's no CGI in 1931. Um, how did you feel about the, we obviously don't see very much? We see the, the platform being lifted out of the, the ceiling and flashes of lightning, which we are to assume is, is striking the body or the electrodes that are coming out of his neck. Um, how did you feel about this sort of coming alive scene? I think sometimes that's um, sometimes where modern films falter. They, they're like, you need to see everything. Whereas you know, the people that made this film were like, okay, we can't, you know, we can't show lightning um, in this film. We don't have the facilities for that special effects. So we will like simulate it and show them without showing them. And I think it's done really well. Lucy, how do you feel? No, I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement as well. I think, I mean, we saw this with the birds as well. You, you don't have to show everything. Sometimes leaving the audience to their own imagination works better. And it kind of fits into the narrative we've already said that this movie doesn't hold your hand. It treats the audience like an adult. They don't need to see it to know what's happening. The only thing I wish that they did, and I think the sound effects in this are really good. And I know it's 1930, but I feel like we could have had like, some score kind of more I don't know I just feel like there could have been some music in this scene like and I know this film doesn't be I don't think it has really much of a score at all and I know we don't have to have a score in a film but I feel like they could have really used it here that's my only gripe with this I feel like it could have just elevated it if they had just a little bit of music in some of the key scenes get what you're saying but that's that is actually one of the things that i love about this movie is that there is virtually no 
score. I think there's some over the opening credits, right? And yeah. some is there some over the closing credits? I can't actually remember. But um, there is virtually, and that's one of the things that I love the most about this movie, that there is no score. I totally get what you're saying, though. Obviously, there are so many scenes in, in horror history that have just been made as iconic as they have because of the score. You know, you think of things like the Jaws score and the, the Psycho uh, soundtrack and things like that, and, you know, they've become so iconic. Um, but for me this this absolutely didn't need it whatsoever so it's interesting that we've come all down on opposite sides of that Lindsay, did what do you think about musically because it's not something we've really talked about yet the fact that there is virtually nothing i i didn't miss it at all during the film um i have to say which is funny because like you say music has highlighted some of the the greatest scenes in horror and something like the it's alive scene you know part of you could imagine some like giant score behind it um but another part of me loves that it doesn't i almost feel like because it was 1931 i feel like it might not have aged as well if it had, had a bit of a score behind it maybe because there's no score there there's nothing to age mm. and i feel like that's why i love it that's fair okay so we've got that whole scene so let's talk about them um, just after that happens Obviously, we've got the monster is alive. And let's talk about Fritz and the monster because they have a bit of a tempestuous relationship. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Basically, Fritz just constantly torments this monster. I know. Like, I would not trust him with my pets whatsoever. I mean, hang poor Blossom by her tail with a nail or something. Like, he's horrible. I mean, Frankenstein treats Fritz terribly. That's that's be real. Frankenstein does not treat Fritz well. Um, so Frankenstein is just as bad, just mm. at the next level up. But, you know, Frankenstein's obviously telling Fritz, oh, keep that fire away. And then Fritz is just sitting there being like, oh, there it goes in your face. So oh, what, like, and I'm sitting there going, he's just told you to no put the fire in his face. And it's literally the first thing you do. No wonder you got a short walking stick. <laughs> I know, I was screaming at my TV. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, he's just asking to get his fucking arse handed to him by the monster. <laughs> How did you- so when he dies, I was like, good, you deserve it. Although maybe I'm a bit fucked up. Like, I love those moments in a horror film <laughs> where it's like somebody dies and it's like really satisfying. It's just like, I never liked you anyway. You deserve that. Oh no, like that's that is a very common trope, isn't it? That we have a, a character that you hate so much to the point where you want to see them die. And it's I it, it reminds me, I know obviously this came way before it. It reminds me of the marketing around the, the House of Wax remake where Paris Hilton would just go mm-hmm. around being like, uh, come and see me be Wanna killed. See me die. <laughs> yeah, like and and that was just chef's kiss for marketing. Um you know, it, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, Lucy, how do you feel about f- how Fritz treated the monster? Before I get to that, Lindsay, we all fucked up on this podcast. Are you kidding me? That's why we're all friends. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, it is satisfying. I feel like, I don't know, I was trying to rationalise it. Fritz is just a dick at the end of the day. But I feel like there's maybe a little bit of jealousy. He probably feels replaced by Frankenstein's monster. Um, 
that's what I kind of got from it. It's like imagine being just so like, jealous of something. You're like, I'm gonna set fire at your face. There's arseholes out there, you that would do I that. Probably. I know, I know, I know, I know. I might, <laughs> I might just like slash your tires or something. I'm no setting fire at your fucking face. <laughs> um, but yeah, just did deserved it. No sympathy at all. But yeah, that's the only thing I could get from it is like they, I don't know, they were trying to instill this kind of like rivalry between them. Obviously, Frankenstein's monster isn't about that. He he's just trying to get on with his life and you know deal with what's been handed to him but I feel like Fritz is I don't know I got major jealousy vibes he's very like pick me energy and he's not getting picked so but you can you can see as well that he's you know constantly trying to impress and trying to please Frankenstein you know in the build-up yeah. to him coming alive you know he's literally doing literally anything that Frankenstein asks him to do as well so I, I definitely get I could definitely get those vibes I definitely could get on board with that as a reason for his behavior not that it justifies his behavior of course but it does give some sort of rationale to it and he gets a nice cool gruesome death as well he gets hung by the monster the monster's first victim so that's the first time the monster is is killed and then we get and then this is where you know i start to feel like he not start i already do but like the sympathy levels for the monster just go like up and up because you know they talk about how he's never seen the daylight they've been keeping him in the dark they've been keeping him in the pitch black and then they show him the light and you know he he, he starts the other scenes where you know he's really sort of struggling just to understand what's going on and he's panicking and he's scared and they're like injecting him with needles and like you said Lindsay, tying him up in the cellar and text of poles and the treatment of him is just awful it's like the thing happens like when the monster's first created with fits in the fire and then he's I was gonna say never given a chance to redeem himself it's just like since he has this very adverse reaction to having fire in his face like anyone would if someone even has a lighter in my face I'm like get away um I'm not I'm like I don't like so, fire so, I'm sorry, like danger where, danger where, where, where are you like again stop it just stop it <laughs> it's not big and it's not clever you know okay how do I meet you <laughs> shut up um yeah, he has this like really adverse reaction, and then he's just tormented the entire time he's in Doctor Frankenstein's lair castle. I don't even know what it is. Um, it's an abandoned okay. watchtower. An, an an abandoned watchtower. So um, <laughs> yeah, he's like never gets a chance to like not be on the defense almost because he's just like attacked and attacked and attacked and it's not like physical or whatever but he's like he's locked away and then he's tied up and then he's drugged and you know it's everything to suppress him in whatever way and he's done nothing wrong except be scared which is totally normal because he's what a six foot five child basically he doesn't know what's going on and then he has all this like height and weight behind him so anything he does do it's gonna you know not go well for the person on the other side of it no definitely not um 
I was about to make a point there, but it's gone completely out of my head. So it must have been must have been a lie. It must, must have been, been shite. It must have been bullshit. So <laughs> we shall move on. We shall move on. Um, <laughs> you, you and all. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it's going to be. So the 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 scene that we're talking about where he gets drugged, that scene was also cut. Um, was one of the scenes amongst the. Obviously, we'll go on to talk about the child scene, uh, and the this is how it feels like. This is what it feels like to be God's scene. That scene was also cut and was only restored later in the 1980s as well. Um, so 1930s audiences wouldn't have seen that. Um, we get this scene as well where Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein, uh, Victor and Elizabeth are back talking to the Baron. Is this where we're first introduced to the Baron? And then the Baron's like, I'll, I'll go get him. Because they're like, oh, well, we couldn't get Henry to come back. And the Baron's like, I'll get him. Then I use Sorry, <laughs> solid. He's just like, right, come on. <laughs> and I love the fact, because they go up there. I love the fact when they burst in, there's that, the, 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 the flaming torch is on the ground. And he's just pointing at it and being like, what's that for? Look at that. Why is that there? What's, what's that for? And it's like, it's a fucking torch. What do you think it is? But anyways, uh, he... Does he success? He successfully brings him back. I, I just don't like something you'd mess with, to be honest. <laughs> no, he really um, doesn't. He successfully brings him back. Is it Val- Valdman agrees to look after the monster in the meantime while Henry re- returns? Um, because Henry's getting married as to Elizabeth, and he's already late for his wedding, isn't he? Because we get that scene as well with the is it the burgomaster, where he is like, by the way, we've. Uh, we've made all this plans in the village for the wedding mm. and you are fucking it up. He doesn't even want to be there. And I'm like, mate, come the fuck on. Like, like you, like you said, Lindsay, he, well, yeah, I, I just, he just needs to come out and just live his best life and think, just stop ruining other people. Do you think that's why he was creating the monster? Do you think his original intention might have been to run away with it? Build a boyfriend. Build a boyfriend. <laughs> Well, there is a lot of queer coding in this, and well, in Bride of Frankenstein as well. No, we haven't gotten onto it, but um, is it James? J- yeah, James, James Will, the director, was um, a very an out gay man in the nineteen twenties and the thirties, which was um, you know very hefty, radical at the time. Hefty brave, <laughs> very brave, very brave indeed. And he has talked about he had talked about it a little bit more after Bride of Frankenstein came out, and. Um, I'm sure we probably will cover it at some point, um, but there is a lot of queer coding in that. In terms of like queer cinema and especially in horror, a lot of people do reference Bride of Frankenstein, but also Frankenstein as well, because a lot of people in the community do relate to that. And I feel like you can you can kind of get where James Whale was coming from from that in terms of the otherness and like being a gay man at the time and like you know what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of rambling right now, but yeah. Oh, there's nothing new there. Don't know whatever it. Um, no, you're absolutely you're right. Um, you know, I think it's very important. Just on a quick note, I know, like you said, we're probably going to cover it in the future as well. But Bride of Frankenstein, have you guys seen it? Yeah. No, I I'm quite I, a big fan of it. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> uh, Jamie, listen to me in the chat. Just said, does he take orders? Hashtag build a boyfriend. <laughs> love it um you can get that 
old treatment for hysterical hysterical women as well. Get a wee uh, line, <laughs> a line and a vibrator, and there's your Saturday night sorted. Um, I think Bride of Frankenstein is possibly the greatest sequel of all time. Um, and I'm not going to too deep into it. Obviously, I, I think it's already obvious that I absolutely love this movie. I love it more than I love this movie. So um, definitely recommend you watch it, Lindsay. Um, so this is so uh, Veldman, I think Veldman's plans is to just destroy the monster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why doesn't he just destroy the monster? Like he goes through all this rigmarole and ends up getting himself killed. I know he seems to be fanning about a little bit. I don't know if he wants to do it with Henry and like that's what he's waiting for. I don't know. It's it was very odd to me. It was like he's because he very much makes it clear that he's going to kill the monster. He tells yeah. Henry, but when four Henry's getting taken back, I'm going to kill the monster. And then it's it's that we it's down the line that he's he's performing this. I don't know if he maybe just wants to examine him to see what's to see it almost see it up and close with his own eyes, like how I it's guess, happened. So, like, if you think back in those days, um, they were still learning a lot about the human body. So maybe he had some curiosity about how Henry actually built them and wanted to do some kind of autopsy. Um, yeah, maybe. I could definitely get on board with that. Um, but yeah, we get this sort of like struggle scene, don't we, between uh, Veldman and and the monster, and the monster strangles him to death. And this is this is how the monster eventually escapes, and that's now two people that the monster has has killed. Um, and then after that, we get this scene where it's supposed to be the wedding. That's like the next scene that we get, and. Uh, this is a bizarre scene, I think. I just think this is where the, the Baron is peak Baron, for one. You know, he's he's sitting there and he's got that very sort of posh, tough voice, doesn't he? Like something out of Maiden fucking Chelsea. I mean, yeah, sorry, this is my, my grandmother who drank this wine and don't give it to the servants. He sounds like Boris fucking Johnson, doesn't he? Um, and then Elizabeth sort of bursts in and it's like just really, really nervous that the monster is out to get her, isn't she? Women's yeah. intuition. How, she knows that it well, got that, out. No, this is what I want to. This is the question that I'm going to. I want to pose is, we've we've talked about the portrayal of women previously. How do you guys feel about the portrayal of Elizabeth in this movie? It's a shame because she's just really like a plot device mm-hmm. um you know henry has to have a fiance that is waiting for him um there's not really a personality trait i could tell you about elizabeth lucy yeah the same thing it she's just a rather one-dimensional character you know and we've seen films obviously the main protagonist in this is Frankenstein's monster but we do you know we have had other films where side characters do you don't need a lot of time to give them some complexity and some depth to them work but I feel like Elizabeth doesn't really get that um I will say though in this scene the costuming is fucking amazing I was like blown away by it um not just the dress like I, I i'm i'm a real fan of like 
fashion from this era as well and like I was almost kind of distracted by the costumes <laughs> I was more distracted by that than the script and I was like oh sorry I just said uh, I don't know like and I don't know if this is maybe a wrong this is not a great take to have I feel like there have been worse portrayals for women than this one I get I get your point she kind of just fades into the background I'm not saying that this mm. is a good portrayal it's not she just kind of fades into the background she's not it's not even like she's not this sort of screeching shrill woman that we get in like House and Haunted Hill for example she's just sort of nothing yeah like she's not offensive um she's just in the background unfortunately and it would have been nice to give her a bit more agency especially like I think it goes back to as well I just I feel like Henry is not into this relationship and if there was more conflict or chemistry or connection or something between the two of them then her character could have been elevated a bit more but there's not because from what I see anyway he's he's not arsed for her so we have no reason to be arsed about her yeah definitely and it's it's I think it's worse as well I know we've obviously got the servants and things like that but she's essentially the only female character in this movie as well mm-hmm. um you know in terms of like the main cast so it would have definitely been nice to see her do a little bit more you know how this movie should have ended with Henry and Elizabeth fighting over Victor <laughs> yes oh, I like that that's how, that's how this should have ended well the character the actor who plays Henry was actually bisexual so mm-hmm. that could have worked Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just thought, sorry. I just lost my place in my notes. <laughs> Elizabeth, I do get where you're coming from because I'm thinking of um, House on Haunted Hill. As much as I love that movie, how much of that w- movie is just women screeching, not even screaming, screeching and running about the place? Elizabeth doesn't do that, but she just feels very neutral. Like she doesn't really get to show much emotion either way. So I th- I'm in a, I'm in agreement. I feel like if she had like a conflict or I don't know, just something more about her. She's not good. She's not bad. She's just kind of yeah, vanilla. Just like yeah, yeah. Uh, so we then get this like really. This is the sort of scene, isn't it? This is the turning point of the scene because up until now, obviously the monster has killed a couple of people, but you feel like there might still be like the town hasn't turned on the monster yet, right? But we get this scene, and obviously this is one of the cut scenes that we've been talking about where uh, he, he, he is, well, the whole scene wasn't cut. He confronts, doesn't even confront this little girl who's playing next to a, a lake or a pond or whatever. And they end up, and she gives him like flowers and it's, it's actually quite sweet, isn't it? Like she's giving him flowers and he's like smelling the flowers. I think he smiles as well, doesn't he? Like yeah. when he smells the flowers and it's like, this is a really nice scene. And then she's teaching him how to throw the flowers into the lake and they float. And then he runs out of flowers and he's like, oh, let's see if you float. And of course she doesn't float and he throws the little girl into the lake and, and she drowns. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Lucy, like you can clearly see just like the how distressed. This is what I'm thinking about. Like this is, I think this is a groundbreaking performance from Karloff because you can, I you can see the distress that Boris that the monster has, can't you? As soon as he sort of figures out that oh no, this little girl doesn't float. This is what look at what I've done. And again, it's another evidence of that sort of emotional maturity that Frankenstein does actually have. 
But and I feel you like have seen how distressed I was when he picked up that girl. I was like <laughs> again shouting at my TV. I was like, no, because you know, you know exactly what's gonna happen. And but then you understand it because he's like, oh pretty flowers, oh pretty girl. Let's see if the same thing happens. Also, is this Lassie made out of bricks? Because like <laughs> It's, the water's not that deep. Look, she, you also, she was being you a also, bit dramatic. You also, I like how he just picks her up, and all you hear is "You're hurting me." He's just picked you up, man. Like just, he's not even doing anything. You're hurting me. Um, I do that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, the scene originally was um, once the flowers had run out, he was towering over her, and that's where the scene cut. Oh. Um, so you didn't actually see him throw her into the lake. That's or. The aftermath of that as well where he's um sort of okay, in distress um that was what that was all cut but that's the big turning point in it of this film isn't it because now um and we'll 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 get on to it in a in a second but uh you get this scene later on where the father is carrying his dead child through the town it's like what are you doing that it's that's fucking dark though like i feel like that's one of the darkest things i've seen in a horror film what i don't understand some weird fucking shit that we have (laughs) we've watched martyrs come on where's your where's your fucking skin monster (laughs) um this is fucking grim isn't it lucy it really is. Uh, I just wanted to go back a little bit as mm-hmm. well. That scene being cut, it it really it's such a crucial part of the film, it's and I essential. feel like for, it's essential. And I feel like nineteen thirties audiences really don't see Frankenstein's mon- monster in the intended light because it really villainizes him. And like that scene, like you said, it 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 it, hum- it humanizes him because you see him smiling and you can see the logic behind what he did. Um, because I feel like when a lot of people think of this movie, there's two scenes that they think about, which is that it's a live scene and then the mob with the pitchforks. And some people don't always know the reason behind the mob. Um, and like they they don't, they just see Frankenstein as a villain. And I feel like this being cut is quite a big part of that because you can kind of see not the rationale behind why he did what he did, but you know, like he was just playing. He didn't mean for it to happen the way it did so that's it I think... as well like and i think you know this like you say watching the full restored version i can't imagine watching this for the first time without that scene because it is so essential i think it's absolutely vital can i just uh just on a slightly funnier note just take it back a little bit as well uh, at the beginning of this scene where her father's like i don't know is he like leaving to go to work or leaving to go tend to the fields or whatever she's got a wee kitten in her hands and that kitten is not happy <laughs> No. It looks so cute. I'm surprised it stayed in her arms for so long. Like, I'll kitten. try and pick up Blossom, and she's like, "Get fucked." I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about you though. That kitten was raging because you seen it, and it was like hissing at her and everything. It was not a happy kitty. Oh, they were getting scratches. You could tell behind the scenes, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I say, the town's obviously celebrating the wedding. Um. Elizabeth has, has talked to him. Henry's trying to put Elizabeth at ease, right? And then he finds out about Velpin. And then he just locks her in her fucking room. I was like, that is so unnecessary. Like, it's that, it's the similar thing with the monster. Like, they try and de stress it by fucking tying it up and drugging it. And um, 
oh my my fiance's really stressed out i've got a locker in the room what he fucking locks her in the room i don't like i was like oh the fucking just the audacity of this fucking man um he just i was again again i knew it happened but was just so taken aback by it lucy communication is not his love language I'll tell you that now. Women <laughs> is not his love language. <laughs> no. I agree. But he he treats everyone like a disposable plaything. Like he doesn't know how to fucking communicate to anybody. Is this the this is the thing though, isn't it? Because this is the big sort of well, who's more emotionally immature, isn't it? The create the, the, the creator or the monster. You know, he's created this monster, but this monster is arguably more emotionally mature than him than he is. Oh, 100%. <laughs> More contest in my eyes. This is like, it's not even arguable, Ian. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> fuck's sake, Wolfie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Wolfie in the chat. Wolfie in the chat. We're not supposed to do that. Oh, casually unlocks basement. <laughs> Your poor girlfriend. Jesus. <laughs> poor spider. Jesus, Jesus. Okay. Um, so then. We get the scene where the monster sneaks in to Elizabeth's room, and I'm instantly just like, right, she's dead. That's it. She's getting it next. But he doesn't kill her. And we don't actually find out what he does do to her. Does he, like, do we think he attacked her? Do we think that because it's the 1930s, they're just portraying that she fainted of shock or something along those lines? Because that's where my brain went. I thought, it's the 1930s, she's just going to have fainted, isn't she? Um, yeah, like, I don't think he touched her because the only people he really, like, attacks are people who have, like, done him wrong. Like, he attacks Fitz because Fitz was throwing fire in his face and he attacks um, the other doctor because he drugged him. And, like, the little girl was an accident, unfortunately. He has no reason to do anything to Elizabeth. So I don't think he would have done anything to her. It's that thing again, I think, though, that usually turns to get, like, it's almost like a, a wee home invasion vibe in this bit because he breaks into her room. He's behind her in the room. She doesn't know he's there. Um, that's fucking terrifying. Hmm. Like, absolutely terrifying. Lucy, what do you think of this confrontation? I don't think he would have done anything. I feel like... I don't know. I just can't see the logic behind that. And well, in the 1930s, seen in 1950s, 1960s, throughout cinema history, just women dramatically fainting. So I don't think it's out of, you know, it's out of this world to assume that she might have fainted from shock. Um, so that that was what I thought when I saw that was that oh, okay, it's a fainting scene, uh, which you would though. I mean, well, but it's very feasible. You know, your fight or flight kicks in. I'd probably give a whack. My fight would come in. <laughs> oh, you'd be but so they... dead. You'd be so dead. <laughs> oh, I'm a hundred percent. I'm the first to die in a horror movie. We know this. Oh yeah, I can't remember. What... Oh, Lindsay, Lindsay survives. Yeah, I survive. I can't remember when I die. I think I make a good chunk though, and I think I go down fighting. So I'll take it. Complain <laughs> at that? Uh, I fucking can't. I'm dead. <laughs> um. So this is it, like this is where the movie really sort of turns. Um, the the town is just like, all right, let's go bay and mob and kill this boy. 
Like, there's no... This is this is what police was like in the 1930s. We don't need evidence and proof, and we'll just take this farmer's word for it. The farmer, by the way, can I just say, didn't see his daughter being killed. So how did he know that the monster did it? Mm-hmm. That is, like, a massive, like, plot hole. Like, he just goes, oh, she was murdered. And it's, like, she could have just fell in. She could have just fell in. She could have been murdered by just an evil man. Like... They don't know that this was the monster and everyone is just so easily convinced yep it was the monster and even though it was the monster um like yeah like it's just it's, it's shocking how and i feel like this is the case now specifically with things like social media i actually think this relates quite well to because people just form opinions don't they how many times on social media do you see someone just forming an opinion with no proof no evidence nothing to back up what they're saying it's like it's funny that this is a thing that happened 90 years ago uh, in this movie and you know that it's still applicable obviously in a very different situation Mm. but it's still applicable to this day that mob mentality like uh, like jamie says in the chat Oh, 100%. If one person says something as gospel, the re- everyone else is going to believe it. I mean, when you're saying social media, then look at like the conversations about the vaccine and herd mentality of people believing the vaccine isn't real and 5G and all this conspiracy shite. But you know what? That, it still applies. It still applies today. So Very applicable. Okay, right, let's uh, let's uh, start moving on because I'm very much aware that we've been talking about this movie for, I think, longer than the film. <laughs> and we've still got a few scenes to talk about. So the Bay mob, they sort of split up, they chase, they chase uh, the monster into the mountains. And we get this sort of like one-on-one confrontation between Henry and the monster and they have this little fight and Henry gets knocked on his arse and you're like, fucking good, you dick. I hate Henry so much. By the way, Henry's like, I leave, but I leave Elizabeth in the care of you, Victor. And be like, ah, oh, a big mistake there, Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the monster carries uh, Henry to the windmill. So the monster obviously still like there's something in him that I don't know if it's he cares about Henry as his creator or he has some sort of attachment to him, or if he just knows that if people find Henry dead or unconscious or whatever at his hands, it's just going to make his own situation worse. There's some sort of reasoning there, isn't there? Yeah, there's definitely some kind of thought going on because he's, like, we've already seen he's clearly not this, you know evil thing that just wants to attack people because he was obviously, he didn't do anything malicious to that little girl that played flowers with her. Um, So, yeah, I don't think he had anything horrible in mind when he was carrying Henry off. Yeah. And then they go up to the windmill and this is where we get that. That's, like you were saying earlier, Lucy, that sort of famous scene, isn't it, with the windmill the monster in the windmill and the bay and mob with the pitchforks and the torches you know that's that's iconic that's been recreated um that was recre- we talked about in frankenweenie um you know was recreated in that film um you know we're again something else that we didn't we have not even mentioned you know when we were talking about how this story has lasted and survived and there's a whole movie an animated kids movie that is based on it and and things like that um 
they fight a little bit more. Henry like falls off one of the arms of the windmill, and then they all just they they set the windmill on fire, and we get this horrendous this horrendous scene where the monster is just terrified and is being burned alive. I was greeting again like this is absolutely awful to watch and like when one of the like support beams like fall down on him and he has no chance of getting out whatsoever it's it's absolutely disgusting like the way he's treated and yeah I know obviously we see a different version than back then but I don't know how you just can't feel just so sorry for him by the end because I was I was greeting I thought it was terrible yeah, Greeting is crying for our international yeah. people. I just realised I keep using Scottish slang. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lucy, how did how did this sort of finale? Well, not quite the finale, but this sort of this finale of the movie essentially make you feel? I will say that going into this, I was very hormonal that day and very much in my feelings, so I was crying. <laughs> Are you? Just, I feel like. If you don't at least have a little tear or your heart hurts a little bit at this scene, you didn't have a soul because like it is, it's really, really tragic. And um, I think it goes to show like, you you know, like we're saying, even in 1930, like it's a really powerful scene. You don't need these insane special effects or um, stunts or, you know, what or gore, whatever it is to make a like, your closing scenes like really impactful and um, I know it was big for 93 but you know what I mean when we're comparing it to modern cinema and um, it's absolutely tragic it, it's a tragedy at the heart of it mm-hmm. and um, yeah very sad I know I've uh, I know I've obviously mentioned it before but it, it almost like took my breath away and just shocked me so much again like that scene where the flames are coming up and he's just screaming out of him it's, it's so emotional and yeah it it, it almost left me like lost for words a little bit I was a little bit speechless when I was watching it even though it wasn't my first time watching it you know um we like in this final scene where the Baron and Henry are just like lol I this is like my only real complaint with the film is I wish they'd admitted this end scene and just mm-hmm. ended with the monster dying there's no redemp- there's no uh, remorse or redemption is there no, it's like the scene at the end to let us know that Henry or Elizabeth are okay. I don't care. Like, I know it's savage. I don't care. Like, I just had this like really emotional, awful thing happen, and then it's like, oh, by the way, everyone else is fine. <laughs> like, you, you've just killed this overgrown child for no reason because of all your bad behavior. Because you like, just... why should I be happy that these other people are alive? We're not, and I think, and I think, to be honest with you, I think that's one of the things, though, that does make this film everlasting, is because I think now in modern times we can all unite behind the monster, can't we? Mm. You know, and I think now I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who's like, oh, oh, Victor's all right, and and Henry's okay, and thank goodness the Baron is still alive, and you know, even though the Baron does look like he's about three seconds for death. Um, you know, we're, we, we, we all are united behind the monster, aren't we? And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why this movie has sort of lasted as long as it has, because everyone can unite behind this character. There's no two ways about it, isn't there? Like, he is the sympathetic character. He's not our antagonist. 
Frankenstein is our antagonist and the monster is our, is our protagonist. So that's it. That's the film. We've talked about it for a very long time. <laughs> um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with this film? Uh, seeing the village when they were getting ready for the wedding. <laughs> I was like, I want to go to this party. See when they were all like, dancing in the street and all the street food and they were all having a wee bev. I was like, oh, that looks nice, doesn't it? This is what pandemic times have done to us. So, like, they're just like, I don't know, drink in the street and you know, dance and all sorts. Reminded me of the fringe, and I was like, oh, yeah. memories. Exactly. So, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much else to really sort of talk about with this film, is there? We, we've kind of gone pretty in depth about things. Lucy, do you have anything else? Any other plot, plot points or things you want to bring up? Not that I can think of. Um, I know there'll probably be a few bits and pieces in the trivia, but I think we've kind of said everything. Um, that is my only real qualm as well as the like the ending. Like it, it kind of takes away from that really beautiful scene. I couldn't give two fucks about anyone in this movie besides the monster. I really couldn't. Like it, it just it it's almost like a slap in the face to such a good scene, you know. I, we should just turn our TVs off after that scene, but like, yeah, okay, that's it done. You know? Yeah. Yeah, let's just cut the last... You know, this movie is only an hour and ten minutes, but let's just make it an hour and eight and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, we shall move on to our next segment then, and we will talk about some trivia. As per usual, we will start off with the finances. This movie had a budget of, uh, at the time, $291,000, which was a huge budget at the time. It made, at the box office, $12 million. Now, I extrapolated that for 2021 times, and that is the equivalent of $212.5 million in today's money. This movie was a fucking hit. Wow. G fucking G. Like, fantastic. Like, when I saw that it made $12 million, I was like, what the fuck? Like, that is, you know, people go on about in modern times, you know, well, Saw made $100 million and like, yeah, that's good, but fucking Frankenstein made 200 and it did it 80 years previously. <laughs> so, wow. well done to this fucking film for that. 100%. Um, Boris Karloff broke his back during the production of this movie. Like, he put... I don't know. The only scene where I could really sort of think about where it might have happened is that scene we talked about where the beam falls on him. Mm. So I was just wondering if that was maybe it, because I don't think there's anything else that... Unless, you know, you you tripped and fell or whatever, but... That's the other thing with, like, we were talking about, like, how much of a privilege it is to be able to watch this film. I think sometimes we forget with these films how many, like first were watching like someone like Buster Keaton like really put his body on the line to do some of the first ever style stunts in the 20s 30s 40s and which today like we'd have harnesses and stunt people for and he was doing them without all of that and it'll be the same for Boris Karloff in this film they'd be like yeah it's fine just have this heavy beam fall on your back it doesn't matter that you're going to have to have three back surgeries after this. 
it'll be fine. Like these people were really putting their bodies on the line for in the name of entertainment. And we thank them for it. Absolutely. <laughs> um so Mary Shelley, obviously, who wrote the original uh, original novel, was just 19 years old when she wrote Frankenstein as well. She's such a fucking legend. I love well, her. we've talked about this, and we talked about it, you know, um, in our Women in Horror Month as well, about influential women and, you know, people. Mary Shelley is, is right up there, right? Mm. Oh, 100%. I mean, would... Could you consider her to be one of the most influential women in horror of all time? Like, the argument, I think, can be made. Definitely, yeah. I mean, like, we're still talking about Frankenstein over 200 years later. It's been adapted like for like um, so many times. It's inspired so many different things. Like, even just last year, the her story and Frankenstein were the influence for a Doctor Who episode. That's 202 years after the, like, the book came out. That's wild. I hope in 200 years time, people are still talking about Behind the Screams podcast. Same. <laughs> Somehow, I doubt it. <laughs> um, so I've mentioned previously that Boris Karloff was a bit of sort of like a journeyman actor. He wasn't very well known, hadn't had his big break. He was considered to be such an anonymous actor by Universal. They didn't even invite him to the movie premiere. What? After everything he went through? Oh, uh, that is sad. Now, there, I must say, there are conflicting stories because it could have been because he was hurt that he didn't go, mm. but the rumours are that Universal didn't invite, <laughs> invite him. After putting him through all that and, like, I've seen some other trivia, like, you know, even the shoes that he wore were, like, £13 and he's broken his fucking back and everything. He's like, oh, you know what, babes? You're not going to go to the premiere of your own movie, Soz. I know. I know. Um, my next bit of trivia, Frankenstein's shoes weighed £13 each. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I stole that from you. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right. Like, Because he absolutely went through the ringer. You know, we've talked about movies previously, and I mentioned The Shining earlier, where, you know, recording conditions weren't great and directors were really horrible but 1930s i would just imagine the recording conditions were always naff you know like they were always horrible um like and for reasons like you say Lindsay, there's no health and safety or or anything like that so yeah poor poor uh boris karloff we talked earlier about uh bella lugosi bella lugosi was originally cast as the monster for this film um but he walked off like he did he chose not to do it i believe it was because it was more based on the play and not on the book and he wasn't very happy about it and and basically basically walked off so we could have gotten this movie with bella lugosi but uh instead you know we got the the dawn of boris karloff instead so um, i think that was a good call because obviously he had done Dracula was it either earlier that year or the year before I think it was I think it was earlier that year but I could be wrong and he just he would have just got typecast as like the monster movie guy I think and so yeah I think he made the right decision um in terms of people who were offered Betty Davis was originally offered the role of Elizabeth as well 
Just uh, Oh, that would have been so good. That would have been iconic. <laughs> I would have loved that. Um, we've, we've, we've talked about it. Uh, the novel has Frankenstein's first name is Victor and his friend's first name is Henry, but they are obviously, for some reason that I couldn't figure out or find, have those names uh, back to front. I'm sure if someone's listening to this, Again, you can feel free to contact us and furnish us with the information as to why Victor and Henry were turned about for this movie. Um, Boris Karloff and much of the crew actually argued with the director James Whale to not have the scene where the girl drowned. They were not fans of the scene. Um, but uh, James Whale insisted and the, the scene remained in the movie despite it being cut eventually and not being restored until the 1980s. So I find it quite interesting that it was really the director that pushed for this scene. The cast and the crew didn't really want it, but we've just talked about how pivotal the scene is. I know, but I think as well, like we've kind of spoke sometimes about studios not really trusting directors and like putting their hand in and making changes. And I think this is just like another lesson as to why you should trust your directors. Like you pay them all this money for a reason let them enact their creative vision this scene is completely pivotal to the film it really hammers home that whole idea of the monster being sympathetic um yeah and it would be very different without it i don't think i would have the same i wouldn't have as strong a feelings towards this film if this scene wasn't in it yeah uh, just a couple of pieces left to go uh James Whale, the director, um, was only brought in to direct this movie two weeks before filming was due to start because um, because the previous director, Anne Bella Lugosi, had walked out. Um, Robert Flory was originally on to direct, but they he, he walked out. And so just a couple of weeks before filming, they had to find a new director. And uh, they found James Whale and brought him in. So uh, he didn't really have long to sort of come up with his vision for what he wanted for this movie. But then he really made his mark in Bride of Frankenstein as well. So right. I think it's um, it's not a bad thing. For that oh, no, happens. it's I think it's worked out all right for him. <laughs> I think it worked out all right. Uh, and then finally, um, this movie is so old, the copyright on it expires in six years' time. <laughs> this movie officially yeah. in 2027 becomes uh, moves into the US public domain. That's how old this movie is now, which I thought was just like a, quite a fun little tidbit. Uh, but that's what I've got for trivia. That's why I sort of cherry-picked as being the most interesting pieces of trivia. Any other trivia you guys have found during your readings and your researches? No. no. Okay, let's move on then to our next section, which is the ratings and our final thoughts. And as always, we will start off with the critics. IMDb have scored this movie a 7.8 out of 10. Metacritic scored it 91 out of 100. Uh, and now it's time for everyone's favourite game. It's the Rotten Tomatoes guessing game where you guys have to decide or guess who comes closest in what we think the Rotten Tomatoes critics and the Rotten Tomatoes audience scored this movie. Um, we're going to start with the critics, as we always do. 
this was my choice of movie, so I'm going to let Lucy go first this time, because I think, Lindsay, you went first for your one last time. Um, so, Lucy, you get to go first this time. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes critics scored Frankenstein? I have faith, especially after that Metacritic review, because Metacritic can be pretty harsh, but then again, they're such fucking wild cards. However, the critics have to give dues to Frankenstein, surely. Um, I'm not going to go crazy high, though. I'll go... I'll go 85. 85%. Okay, uh, Lindsay. I'm going to go 90. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, you're going to take this one. You're on a fucking roll, by the way. You've you won. are. Um, I feel like I need some sort of applause or some sort of ticker tape. This has scored 100% by Ooh. the Rotten Tomatoes critics. And to be honest with you, I know there's a few issues. With this. I'm a little bit happy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it has. I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's 100%, but I'm happy that it's gotten 100%. Yeah, same. I was just, I've been thinking all day, like, if this film has scores less than 80 on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> I'm not going to be happy because um, it deserves that and more. Uh, Jamie in the chat is just putting a, night, a really interesting piece of trivia. There's been over 130 movies based around Frankenstein since the book was released. That's that just shows you how influential this is. Uh, okay, moving on to the audience score then. Lindsay, you get to go first for this one. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes audience scored this movie? Um, I'm going to stick at 90. Okay. Lucy? 95. <gasps> Lindsay's going to take it again. Oh my gosh. Well done. Uh, this movie scored 87% with the audience, which is still a really, really good score. Yeah. Uh, I didn't read out the critics' consensus either. Uh, the critics' consensus was still unnerving to this day. Frankenstein adroit, adroitly? I don't know what that word is. Uh, adroitly explores the fine line between genius and madness and features Boris Karloff's legendary, frightening performance as the monster. Um, so that's what the, uh, the critics thought and... I really, I still a really high score from the audience, but uh, it's time to give our scores. So Lucy, we'll drop in with you first again. What are you going to rate Frankenstein on a scale of zero to 10? I really, really struggled with this because I really like this film, but I do prefer Bride of Frankenstein. So I'm not going to give it a perfect score. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. It is a really, really good movie, but I am trying to think of it the context of the sequel as well um even though i know it's not necessarily on the schedule i think it's a really solid film you can't talk about horror without talking about frankenstein and it's influenced so much of not even just horror but just cinema forever um so it definitely deserves top ratings okay uh lindsay um i'm gonna give this film a nine out of ten um i find it really hard to fault at all um, and I think this is a must watch for not just like horror fans, but anyone who says they're a fan of film. Like it's not long, it's not a commitment, um, like some other movies we've covered. <laughs> but um, I think that this should be a must watch for everyone. Definitely. Don't forget to let us know in the chat what you think, what you would rate if you've seen this movie, what you would rate it out of 10 as well. Um, and if you're listening at home, don't forget to send us messages, get us on our socials and you can tell us what you think of this film. Um, I think that this is possibly the most influential story in all of horror ever. And even though 
we've talked about a couple of things in the film that we we don't like we don't like that final scene with uh henry and the baron we don't necessarily like the portrayal of elizabeth you know she just very much fades into the background this is so influential to me i can't give this a low score i i the only reason though i'm not giving this a perfect score is the same reason as lucy did is because i do actually prefer bride of frankenstein but i mean it's so marginal you know it's like I don't know, picking your favourite cat is <laughs> picking your favourite pet, isn't it? Um, I'm going to give it a little bit of a higher score than Lucy did, though. I'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten because I still think it's just so important uh, and so influential and still so good. Like, you know, we were saying that, you know, we didn't find it scary. There are still really unnerving, really scary moments in there that we talked about. It holds up because there's a lack of score I was talking about, I feel like it ages even better because there's no score to age it as well. The makeup and the costuming and the set design are all just phenomenal for the time as well. And even now, like Luke still looks better than some of the movies that maybe have come out 40, 50 years later. Looks better than some of the shitty CGI we've seen over the past couple of decades. So nine and a half out of 10 for me. I think this is... Uh, a must watch for anyone who's wanting to get into horror. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so giving our scores combined with the critics scores gives Frankenstein an average score of 8.9 out of 10. It puts it in fourth place of the now 106 Whoa. movies we have covered on the show so it is right up there it gives it the exact same score as 1979's halloween um which i don't know if you know is one of my favorite movies of all time uh, oh no it puts it, <laughs> it puts it one place above evil dead 2 and one place below alien so it's it, it's it's there isn't it it's right up there with the greatest movie the greatest horror movies of all time and mm. i think well deserved definitely Okay, uh, we move on then to sort of like our final sections, the listeners' opinions. We always throw it out onto our social media, ask what you guys, the listeners, think of the movie. We also put out a poll and ask you guys. Uh, we'll read out the poll results first. So we ask you to vote yay, nay, or meh about the movies that we cover. 123 votes on this, uh, this movie's poll. 87% yay. 11% meh and just 2% nay. I want to know who those 2% are. I was just going to say, <laughs> I'll, I'll find out who they are. And, uh, just have a wee word to them. Okay? I think uh, based, based on the number of voters, I think that's two people. So two people out of 123 will have voted. Two miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's two less downloads that this episode's about to, the podcast about to start getting. Just Ken, like, what? They would have listened to all, uh, all of this already, so... That's no, true. it has joy in it, you know. That's true. Um, but yeah, so hugely well, well received. And you know what? Like, I find quite interesting. 87% yay. The Rotten Tomatoes audience was 87%. Oh, Ooh. so it was. So, it's really interesting. So, you know, that, it's funny how it works out sometimes, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, I find that really interesting. And it makes, makes me well clear now at the top of the little competition that we're having. Like, yes. well clear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
for now, oh, for now, for now, but I, I, I'm going to milk it. Um, <laughs> but we also uh, read out some of the uh, opinions that we've gotten. So still Mallow on Twitter says, man, is Dr. Frankenstein punished at all at the end of that? He seems barely reprimanded and his dad's like, well, let's not do that again. Now let's party. <laughs> Uh, Dean Snug says absolute classic and Boris Karloff was the perfect monster really brought you into the film and played with your emotions throughout the film Um, I think that's just a really shaved down thing of what we've been saying for the last two and a bit hours now isn't it Galileo Jones, the incomparable Galileo um, the absolute queen uh, indeed Indeed, our number one fan. Um, I liked it, but Bride stole the show. <laughs> that's what that's what Galileo has to say. Um, Scott Medley, a great creepy horror classic that is great to watch to this day. Nice and simple. Previous guest on the show and one of the co-hosts of uh, our sister podcast over at the House That Screams, Dave Gurman, who was here for our night, another one of our most highest rated episodes movies night of the living dead says absolute classic a truly tragic character especially with the restored scenes with the little girl at the pond the movie asks us who the true monster is us or him again you know just echoing what we've been saying throughout the film and finally more friends of the podcast the horror project podcast uh it puts the class in classic and i think that's the perfect way to end the listener opinions wouldn't you say definitely um so yeah that's it for this this episode. I am so happy that we got to talk about this. Um, you know, we we got asked a while ago to cover more um more classics, and this is the first proper universal classic that we've managed to cover. And I'm so so happy that we got to revisit this. That Lindsay, you got to watch this for the very first time. Um, and I couldn't, I cannot emphasize enough just how much I went I want if you've not seen this movie. Go find it. Go seek it out. Get it on. I think it's. You said you watched. Got it on Twitch, didn't you? It's yeah, all. It's yeah. available on Twitch. Like just seek it out, however you can, because this is just so. You would be surprised just how much horror has came from this film, the play that came before it, the book that came before that, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I can give something. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't think I can give anything uh, any higher praise than that. Blossom just made a very dramatic uh, entry to the mm-hmm. to the show there. That's all she knows how to do. Uh, she learned it from her mum. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like I said, that is it for this episode. Next up on the podcast, uh, me and Lucy and the uh, Katatui, who uh, many of our followers will know from the sort of corner of our Twitch community will be reviewing Resident Evil Village, the video game, and we'll be doing a bit of an E3 recap. But next week uh, is back to Lucy's choice of movie. What are we going to be covering next week and why? We are going to be covering the iconic Little Shop of Horrors next week. And I am very excited to be doing this episode. I think you've, you've both watched it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely iconic. It's so camp, it's so fun. And it'll be nice to to do something kind of a little bit lighthearted as well, because we've covered quite a lot of dark films recently, and especially after Frankenstein as well. What are you looking have, at me like that, Ian? Have we? Have we covered it? I don't think we've covered anything dark at all. 
Oh no, you know, Martyrs was just a wee fun breeze. Ages it? ago. <laughs> that was ages ago. Everything's been just like light and fluffy lately. Mm, sure, but um, yeah, I, I think if you haven't watched it, if you're in, if you're in, oh, I'm sharing the schedule on the screen. I, sh- I know, I was sharing the analytics. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, if you're if, if you're into musicals and just camp fun, like I feel like when everybody thinks of like horror musicals or like anything horror relating to you know lightheartedness and campness, they immediately think of like Rocky Horror. Um, quite rightly too. Oh well, Rocky Horror is a classic. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like sometimes that's, Little Shop of Horrors. That's my, is that's my horror musical choice for this year. So you leave off it, right? I'm not having a go. All right, it's not a competition. Fucking will be by the end of the year. I'll find um, a way to competitionize it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it, it'll be it'll be a great episode, and I'm really excited for it. I'm excited. Just to uh, just to clarify for everyone, it is the '80s rock, uh, Little Shop of Horrors that we yeah. will be covering, not the 1960s, the original from the yeah, 60s. 60s. Um, it is the 1980s version with Rick Moranis and uh, Steve Martin and 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 many many more very famous people from that era as well so that is the one that we will be covering but like i say before then this thursday join me lucy and kat Lindsay's taking a break to remove some body hair and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes yeah, so you're you're getting to escape us for an episode which i'm sure you're you're very excited about my cat's just keeping my seat warm by the way like, I am war- coming back. Ooh, fucking warning. That's a warning for her right there. It's like, a warning for you, pal. Me? <laughs> Listen. Listen, I'll not have that kind of threats on this show. Um, but yeah, so don't forget, uh, find us on Twitter at Screams Behind, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. It's at Behind the Screams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Ian Forrest 12 with two hours. You can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash forest underscore 9191. Lucy, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. Lindsay? I'm at hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. If you're listening to this uh, live in the chat, stick around for the post show that will be happening in just a couple of minutes. But uh, if you're listening to this on the download, number one, thank you very, very much for listening to us on the download. We really, really appreciate uh, every single download that we get, all the interactions that you give us on our social medias. We've got a huge amount of things that are planned in the works for this year. Um, but yeah, so thank you once again to Lucy and Lindsay for joining me. Thank you to you guys for downloading it at home. And we hope you will join us next time on Behind the Screams.